If you had to choose one word, just one word, to describe the story of Joseph, of Joseph for yourself, in your mind, just think about it. I'll give you a few seconds. Think about one word that you would say, this is what the story of Joseph is about for me. I asked my family this question, and these are the words that came back to me. One person said vindication because his name was cleared since he had those dreams. Another one said increase because he added value to everything he did. Another one said faithful, perseverance, power, or God's power, possible, saying he was exposed to all kinds of things and yet was always faithful, and hope. What about you? What kinds of words came to your mind? Well, as I was giving them this assignment, I had a word in mind, my own. And I thought that maybe one of them is going to come back with that word, but they didn't. And I shouldn't be surprised, right? Because we all have different ideas, different things that we get from stories or the things that we may need for our own lives. But it was interesting to me that we all came up with something different. So I'm not going to tell you what my word is, and I want you to hold your own word as we're going through the rest of the story of Joseph. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 42 today. So go ahead and, and turn there. Not just in 42, we'll do a few chapters. <clears throat> but last week we left Joseph just as he became the vizier in Egypt. He became kind of like the prime minister today. And a prime minister or the vizier of the country was second in command. The viziers oversaw the political administration. All official documents had to have his seal. They managed the taxation system, monitored the food supply, listened to problems between nobles, and attempted to settle them. In fact, a vizier sat in the high court because judiciary was one of his responsibilities. I told you he was given that gold chain that most likely had the symbol of goddess Ma'at on it, which meant that he was to stand for truth and justice is in his new position now. And on top of that, he was to ensure the royal family's safety. He monitored the visitors and people who came in and out. Sounds like an easy job? <laughs> Not really, right? <laughs> but Joseph did it well, and I believe that he did it well because God was with him, right? He prepared him for this job, and then he let God work through him. Well, the next thing that we hear is at the end of chapter 41 where it says that when the years of plenty come, Joseph has two sons. The first son he names Manasseh, which means making forget. He says, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. It doesn't mean that he forgot about his family. That's not possible. But what it is saying is that God is helping him to forget the pain that he went through. And in the same way, to forgive that pain. And then he had a second son, who he named Ephraim, which comes from the word to bear fruit. And he says, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He praises God because God has given him everything that he needs. And now, instead of affliction, which he had at first and being in the pit, now it changes to fruitfulness. And he knows that it's a gift from God. 
The next thing we hear is that the seven years of famine start. And now the scene switches from Egypt to the land of Israel. And we see right at the beginning of chapter 42, Jacob, his father, is looking at his sons. And he says, why are you all looking at one another? He says, we have heard that there is grain in Egypt, so go there. But they don't really want to go, do they? Because the last time they heard about Egypt was when they had the Ishmaelite traders take Joseph there. And so and in their minds, that is not a place they really want to go. But they don't really have a choice, and their dad says, go get some food. So they go. But he does not send one of them with him. Benjamin. And this is what he says. He says, lest some calamity befall him. In other words, it is very possible that he was suspicious of the brothers, that it is possible that Joseph's torn clothes that he saw were not really from a wild animal. It could have been something different. Maybe the brothers did something. And so he, because he doesn't trust them, he doesn't send them. And now they get to Egypt, and as they come in, I'm pretty sure that Joseph knew. He could see them from far away because he knew exactly what was going on in the land. And as they come in, he's ready for them. They bow down in front of him, the fulfillment of his dream, sees it right in front of him, and he says, where are you from? They say, well, we're from Canaan, and we're here to buy grain. He says, no, 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 you are spies. You have come to see, and he says, the nakedness of the land. What does that mean? He says, you are looking for the weak spots of Egypt, and you want to come and do a raid on us, which was a reasonable thing to say. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not who we are. And then listen to what they say. They say, we are all one man's sons. We are, in verse 10, the end, or verse 11, we are honest men. Your servants are not spies. I like how you chuckled when you heard, when you heard we are honest men, right? That's what it made me think as I was reading it. Really? That's what you say about yourself, that you're honest men? You've been lying your whole life. This is the description you choose. And that word means to be firm, upright, and true. That's what they're claiming. And so Joseph says, all right, fine. I still think that you are spies. But if you can prove otherwise, then I'll believe you. But the only way I will believe you is if you bring that youngest son to me. You're the youngest brother to me. He says, one of you can go get him and the rest of you wait here. Well, they don't seem to really react to that. So he just takes all of them and throws them in prison. And it says that he, they were there for three days. There are some who believe that perhaps it was three days because it's a parallel to his three years that he spent in prison. So he gives them three days for three years. And now at the end of those three days, he comes up to them and says, all right, do this, for I fear God. If you are indeed honest men, then go home and bring that brother and one of you will stay here. And at that moment, because they, know, they don't think that he can understand them, they start talking to each other. And they start saying, we know what's going on. God is doing this. We knew 
the evil that we were doing, and yet we did it anyways. And we heard Joseph's cries and pleas towards us, and we still let him go. And so now it's coming back to us. And then Reuben speaks up and says, yeah, didn't I tell you? Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Behold, his blood is now required of us. The interesting thing is that Reuben is not as saintly as he's making himself out to be. Because if you look at chapter 37, where he had the brothers throw him into a pit first, and he comes back and he realizes that Joseph is gone because they sold him. In chapter 37, in verse 30, it says he returns to his brothers and says, the lad is no more. And I, I, where shall I go? It's not about the brother. Yeah, okay, Joseph is gone, but really all he's worried about, he's the firstborn son. How is he going to explain it to his father now? That's his worry. And when the brothers suggest, oh, well, you know, we just are going to dip his clothes in the blood and take it to him, he says, all right, let's do it. And they do. Reuben seems to speak throughout the story, but the brothers don't really listen, do they? And it's because they don't have respect for him. Because you see, he slept with one of their moms. And so that put him on the lowest of the lowest for, their, for them in their minds. Jacob himself doesn't see him as his firstborn anymore. And so it's Judah who throughout the story steps up as the leader because they respect him. But not Reuben. Well, now Joseph hears all that that's going on. This is the first time that he's hearing all that happened after they did that, after they threw him in the pit. And he runs out and he's crying. Then he comes back, he grabs Simeon, throws him in prison, and tells the rest of them to go home and to bring the other brother. Simeon most likely because he was the cruelest one of them all. And now when they're on their way home, the journey would have been about 200 miles long, which would have taken them about six or seven days. And on their way, they have to stop. Right? They have to feed everyone, they have to take a rest. And as they stop, one of them goes to their sack and opens it up. And he notices, oh no, the money is in the sack. And as they see this, it says in chapter 42, at the, in verse 28, their hearts failed them and they were afraid. The word for failed them is the word to to go out. So it's, it's kind of making this, this picture that their hearts jump out. That's how scared they are. And then they say, what is this that God has done to us? And then they get to Jacob, and they say this, the man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. Notice their whole speech is all about it's that man's fault. That evil man who did all this in Egypt did all this to us. Even though they should have known from the start that everything that's happening is really their doing, isn't it? They are the ones who caused everything. 
Now they're worried about absolutely everything that's happening because of what they did in the past. And then they continue the speech and they say, but we said to him, we are honest men. And then they keep repeating it and then he told us, okay, well, if you're honest men, then show me. And then I will know that you're honest men. Three times in the speech, it says that they repeated, we are honest men. All throughout the chapter, five times. The contrast should be seen by the reader, right? The author put it there for a reason so that we would see they're claiming to be honest, but in reality, that is not the case. Or it has not been the case. And now all of them are afraid, especially when they find out that all of their money is back as well. And then Reuben speaks to his dad with a suggestion, and he says, kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Great suggestion. <laughs> kill my two sons. Once again, you see his own selfishness. It's about him. And obviously, he wasn't really meaning it. It was kind of a ridiculous proposal. Well, he knows it's ridiculous. But the fact that he even says it just shows something about his character. And then, because Jacob will not budge, they're all stuck. They can't go anywhere. And their food is just getting lower and lower and lower. And then finally, Jacob comes and says, why don't you go back and buy us a little bit of food? Maybe if, the, if he says, buy us a little bit of food, that will mean that the discussion will not start. But Judah says, we can't go back. You know that we can't go back because the man told us that we can only go back if we have Benjamin. And then it says, Israel said to them in chapter 43, verse 6, why did you deal so wrongfully with me? If you could say this literally in English, the word there is evil, so it would be, why did you deal so evilly with me as to tell the man whether you had, that you still had another brother? And now the, now the brothers respond in a rude way, and in the end, they end with, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? And Jacob steps in now, not Jacob, Judah steps in now, as if to calm down the situation and to tell them, all right, this is what we're going to do. Let the lad go with me, and I will be surety for him. If something happens to him, let me be blamed for the rest of my life. And then he tries to reassure Jacob and says, because if you would have let us go a while ago, we would have already been back. And now once again it says that Israel says to them, okay, if it must be so, then do this. And he gives them gifts and sends them back to Egypt. As they're arriving, once again Joseph knows that they're back and he sends them to his house for a feast. They all sit down and you know what happens, they notice that they are sitting in the order of their birth. And on top of that, Benjamin is getting five times the amount of food that they are all getting. And Joseph is watching for their reaction, but they're laughing and happy. And so he says, okay, let me give you one more test. 
He speaks to the steward, and then the steward lets them go the next day. And as they're leaving the city, he overtakes them, and Joseph told them to say this, why have you repaid evil for good? Why did you take my master's divination cup? And they have no idea what he's, what he's talking about because they didn't do anything. And since, and since they're so sure they didn't do anything, they say, all right, well, if you find it with one of us, then that person will die and we will be your slaves. And the steward says, mm, that's not really necessary. All that we need is for that person to be a slave and the rest of you can go. And as he's looking, he's making the thing more dramatic because he looks from the oldest son to the youngest. And as he's getting to the youngest, they all probably thought, oh, we're good. So they start packing up, and then they hear a gasp. How did this get here? And they all go back to Egypt. And at this point, it says that Joseph is waiting for them. And when he tells them, why have you done this? Judah starts speaking, and he says, in verse 16, chapter 44. What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves. Both we and he also with whom the cup was found. And then he says, oh, no, no. I don't need all of you. All I want is the person that got it. So that person will stay with me. The rest of you can go back in peace. As if they can go back in peace. And then Judah gives him this beautiful speech. And through this speech, Joseph sees that how much Judah loves his dad. Because he says, my dad had a wife that he loved dearly. And this wife gave him two sons. And one of them is gone. And the other one, he loves so much that if he loses him, it will crush him. And then he ends with, how could I do this evil thing to my dad? And when Joseph hears all that, he realizes that Judah is a changed man. And he breaks down tells all of the Egyptians to leave the room and tells his brothers, I am Joseph. And they don't even believe him, so he says it again. I am Joseph, come to me. And now Joseph is the one who gives a beautiful speech. And he says, but now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And he says the word, God sent me three times. He says, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me, but God. As I was thinking about the story, I told you there was a word that kept popping up into my mind, popping in my head. And that was the word forgiveness. Did anyone else think of forgiveness? Okay, I see some hands. I see forgiveness being kind of woven through the whole story. But it is not just Joseph who forgives in this story. It is also Joseph's brothers. 
And they show it in the end because of the way they handle the situation, that they have forgiven their dad, and their dad still loves Benjamin the best. But they love him because they have forgiven him. Jesus tells us to forgive. But how do we do that? Well, I believe that there's something in this story that shows us how. Because it's not about just saying, all right, forgive. It's about how do we forgive? How did they do it in this story? Well, I believe that there's something that tells us how. And the way I even thought of this is because I have a, a senior in high school who was studying with me. His name is Tanner Ford. And he is reading the Bible from the beginning. Just kind of every day reading a bunch of chapters. And then when we come together, he asks me questions. And the questions that he asks me just blow my mind most of the time because there are many times where I don't even know how to answer them. And I have to tell him, I don't know, I'll have to look this up. One of the questions that he asked me was, what does the name Israel mean? Why does God give Jacob that name? And as we talked about this, if I, it, it dawned on me as I was studying the story of Joseph that that name has a major significance in that story. So let me tell you what it means first. So the name Israel that God gives to Jacob means God fights because he got it when he was fighting God, when God came and just overtook him and they were fighting that night. All through the night, he held on to him, and finally, Jacob surrenders everything, puts it in God's hands, and God says, I will fight your battles for you from now on. That's what it was supposed to remind him of. Well, now notice this. I want to show you this. Whenever Jacob has to exercise that faith, without even knowing that he will have to exercise it, the name Israel appears in the story. So, it's, so the first one is in chapter 37, where it says in verse 13, chapter 37, verse 13, where it says, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He doesn't even realize that he will have to exercise that faith that God will fight for him because Joseph is not coming back. But unfortunately, Jacob doesn't interpret it right, and he does not from that point on actually trust God. He says, I can't trust God. I have to hold on to Benjamin. I cannot let him go because now it is my responsibility, not God's. God is not fighting for me because he let Joseph go. And so it takes him so long to eventually let Benjamin go. And now notice in chapter 43, in verse 6, who does it say that finally said, all right, let Benjamin go? It doesn't say Jacob. It says Israel. Israel is letting Benjamin go. Once again, he has to exercise that faith that God will fight for him. And this time... He finally lets go. Now let me tell you what I see in the story. I see that all of them have forgiven 
because they have somehow at some point realized that God fights their battles. For Jacob, it took a while, but he does it eventually. His brothers, Joseph's brothers, do the same thing. They eventually realize that God fights their battles, and so they forgive their dad as well. But what's amazing to me is Joseph, because Joseph does it from the start. He believes that God fights his battles from the very beginning, and he never, ever wavers from that. And that's why God is able to make him who he is. And he is the fruitful man who makes a difference in the world all around him because he chose to believe that God fights his battles. There's a song that I love to listen to, and I want to read you some of the, the lines from the song. It's called Battles. And it starts out by saying, this current is trying to wreck me. The current is trying to take me out. It says, like castles of sand, as if I am a castle of sand. My fear is like an enemy army that is marching again but I am making a stand. And now he speaks to God through the song, you surround me on every side, your love is my armor, I fear no evil. Darkness runs from your light, so I won't be afraid, I won't be afraid. And now he says, you're going before me and oceans are parting. You're fighting my battles. When my feet are failing and my heart is shaking, you're fighting my battles. And it keeps repeating, you are fighting my battles. You are fighting my battles. You are fighting my battles. God wants to fight our battles. The only thing that we need to do is let him. Let him fight our battles. Let him be the one who takes over because bitterness and hatred is not leading us to fruitfulness. It keeps us from what God really truly wants us to have in our lives. Let God fight your battles for you. Let's pray. Lord God, let us surrender everything to you so that you can be the one who fights our battles. May we truly understand what that means and not just hold on to things in our lives. Because we think that we can take care of things on our own. Just like the brothers who who fought for everything by themselves, even trying to get their father's love by throwing Joseph in the pit. But Lord, there's nothing that we can gain by trying to fight the battles by ourselves, but we can gain everything when we, when we let you fight those battles. I pray that you help us to do that. Amen.